Tropical Storm Henri, the most pretentious-sounding hurricane I've ever heard, unleashed its fury on parts of the tri-state area, as I'm sure you're well aware. Tropical Storm West Coast Road Trip also wreaked some havoc on the Mets' 2021 season. At least Henry finally turned right and headed out to sea, and at least the Mets' road trip finally came to an end with a rather convincing win. We will talk about it on America's favorite podcast. Favorite. in the morning. Mets in the morning, oh yeah, Mets in the morning, gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now, here's Josh Lewin, scoodly down. So for a while it looked like the Mets and Phillies were in a race very recently to see who could navigate their way into first in the NL East. More recently, they've been in a race to see who can lose games in the most creatively heart-wrenching ways possible. The Phillies may have had the topper Saturday night in San Diego, by the way. Take the lead with a pair of bases loaded to hit by pitches, then lose your one hitter and your win with a game-tying two-run home run in the bottom of the ninth, lose the game on a walk-off wild pitch in the tenth. That's a good one. Hadn't even considered that one. Josh Lewin with you for the Mets until Sunday. It was a lot of that kind of stuff, wasn't it? Doesn't that seem achingly familiar, what happened to the Phillies on Saturday night? That kind of stuff seemed to happen to the Mets a lot. And with no Lindor, no Baez, no DeGrom for this road trip, that's a knife fight with a cafeteria spork in your hand. We were all so spoiled by the early success of the bench mob, were we not? Turns out a lineup of Pat Mazika, Kevin Pillar, etc. should really only be expected to do so much. Who knew? Sunday, though, with Baez back and with Stroman on the mound, everything looked a little rosier. The Mets did get away on getaway day with a 7-2 win. Let's walk you through what you missed over the weekend. We'll take it chronologically and try to condense 72 hours into about uh, 10 minutes here. Off-field Friday, longtime Saints and Chargers quarterback Drew Brees took in batting practice with his sons in L.A., spending time chatting with Louisiana native Seth Lugo and other Mets. But for Lugo, this was like meeting the Pope and Oprah all at once. Popra, if you will. And even if you won't. Uh, from there, a couple roster moves. James McCann to the I.L. with a bad back. Jake Reed placed on the I.L. with right forearm discomfort, allowing the Mets to welcome Heath Hembry. The Mets had just claimed the reliever off waivers from the Reds, Cincinnati cutting him after he had a 6.4 ERA this year. He's 32. He established himself with the Red Sox, playing for them uh, now 2014 through 2020, with the Giants in there as well, a stretch where Zach Scott was a high-ranking Boston executive. Career ERA 4.2, but this year 19 walks and 42 innings. That was enough for the Reds to cut bait. That and the 10 home runs allowed. The Mets are banking on their analytics being able to work uh, kind of towards him to maximize that fastball slider combo that he's got. Should the Mets somehow make the postseason, that's another pitcher who's experienced on a big stage. He won a title with the 18 Red Sox. That championship celebrated at Dodger Stadium, where we now take you plausibly live. The Dodgers taking the field looking like Tobias in Arrested Development when he painted himself to audition for Blue Man Group. All blue uniforms head to toe, and despite a strong performance from Dodgers pitcher and tight pants wearer Walker Bueller, the Mets remained within striking distance all night thanks to Carlos Carrasco's five innings of three-run ball, his deepest start of the season. Oh, and there was also this. Time of the fourth inning, and Walker Bueller will work to Pete Alonso. And Alonso swings at the first pitch, lifts it into right center field, fairly deep. And that ball is gone. Home run, Pete Alonso. 
That one carried out to right center. And the Mets are on the board. Alonzo with his 27th home run of the year. Ed Coleman with the call on WCBS. So that gave a Mets eighth inning rally some teeth. They put a couple men in scoring position, only one out in a two-run game. But then the frustrations continued to build. It's three and two, the pitch. Cutter on the inside corner. Strike three called. McNeil thought it was ball four. He threw his bat. He looks back at Nestor Seha, the home plate umpire. And Luis Rojas just stares down Nestor Seha as McNeil goes into the tunnel. That certainly looked like ball four as the cutter ran off the plate in. And Bueller gets the call. Now the Gronk spike of the bat from McNeil. The call from Wayne Randazzo on WCBS. That strikeout killed the momentum. The Mets settled for a lone run on an Alonzo infield single that actually hit him. It should have been ruled a foul ball, but the Dodgers did not challenge. Two batters later, J.D. Davis strikes out looking to leave him loaded. Uh, McNeil, by the way, finished that game 0 for 4 to make his slump 3 for 37. 3-2 L.A. the final. The loss was the Mets 7th and 8 games at that point, 5-14 and 14 in August, averaging 3.2 runs through the first five games of the road trip now, but That number is kind of skewered by the five runs they got in extra innings to beat the Giants on Wednesday. In the regulation nine innings, the Mets averaging 2.2 runs a game on the trip. Saturday, the good news is they got more than 2.2 runs. The bad news is they lost again. Taking the field a couple games under 500, six games out, and realizing the Mets had lost 10 games in the standings in three weeks' time, from four games up to six games out, Not an easy assignment with Mad Max. Max Scherzer on the mound. And again, the Dodgers and the Oompa Loompa All Blues. And I think it would have been awesome had Scherzer taken the mound with a uniform that was all blue on one side, all brown on the other, you know, to match his eyes. Nobody ever likes my marketing ideas. As George Carlin once said, I got plenty of ideas. Problem is, most of them suck. L.A., as usual, jumping out on top against former Dodger Rich Hill. They had a couple home runs in the bottom of the first. Trey Turner and Albert Pujols, who, like Hill, is a 41-year-old. It was 3-0 when the bats woke up at least a little for the Mets. Brandon Nimmo supplying the thunder. Left leg kick, the pitch. That's drifted toward the right field corner. It's deep down the line. If it's fair, it's gone. It's gone. It hit the foul pole. It's a home run. Brandon Nimmo turned on a pitch that cut over the inside half of the plate and Nimmo just ripped it down the right field line. He bounces it off the foul pole and the Mets are on the board. For Brandon Nimmo, that is his fourth home run of the year and the Dodger lead has been cut to 3-1. to one. Thank you, foul pole. Thank you, Wayne Randazzo. And yes, it should be called the fair pole. I know, very confusing to baseball newbies. Anyway, uh, the Dodgers later found an extra run in a meltdown inning from Miguel Castro. He allowed three straight walks at one point to force in a run. Nice job by Familia to clean up from there. An Alonzo home run would cut it to within 4-3, to three, but nothing doing against Kenley Jansen. And that soul-crushing cutter of his in the ninth, 4-3 Dodgers the final. The Mets' 24th loss in their last 28 games against the Dodgers. Not to mention their 17th in their last 23 games overall. And it highlighted a particular area of concern, which has been that the Mets are pretty much near the bottom with the bases loaded in the majors. J.D. Davis had his chance for a second straight game, and for a second straight game, he struck out with the bases loaded. He's 0 for 6 with 6 strikeouts with the bases loaded this year. The Mets 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position on Saturday night, making them 9 for their last 70 
while losing eight games out of nine. That includes the 0-6 against LA, four of those losses by just one run, which really highlights that 129 batting average with runners in scoring position when you're losing by just one run. The Mets against quality fastballs have been treading water at best all year. They've hit 204 against fastballs that are 95-plus. And these days, since nearly everyone throws 95, that's not good. After the game, we heard from Luis Rojas trying to explain why the team is just not driving in runs. Yes, it's another tough loss. Um, you know, we're proud of the guys that we're pushing uh, all the time. You know, they show, show the resiliency every day. Uh, but yeah, we just can't finish what we start. Um, and, and it's happened a lot of times. You know, the bases loaded, um, at bats or runners in scoring position at bats. And I think we went all for nine uh, today. Um, it's just you know it's something that we we got to get better at. I mean, we sequenced a little better today uh, from at bat to at bat. Yes, the runs came. The runs came from two uh, homers. Um, but you know, he chose again our. Um, just lack of ability to drive in runs, you know, something that's been, uh, like you said, consistently throughout the season, just working against us. Uh, we, we have to be better than that. There's your manager. There's a record of 60 and 63 now on a seven game deficit in the NL East. It's an 11 game plummet in 21 days. It makes September 07 look like a carnival by comparison. Sunday, really a must-have game now. Remember, the Mets had soiled themselves in the first couple games in San Francisco, then found a way in the finale. A similar soiling the first three games in L.A. Could they break out the pine-scented Tide Pods and salvage Sunday afternoon? Pitching for the Mets, Marcus Stroman. Somehow only 8-12 despite the ninth-best ERA in the majors, 2.84. He had struck out nine batters in his last start. 1.1 whip, the best it's ever been over a full season. Really, he's enjoying his best season since he was a Blue Jays rookie. But poor Marcus has already set the Mets record for most starts in a season where the offense gets two runs or less. Al Leiter, John Neese, R.A. Dickey, Johan Santana, you're all off the hook. Coming in, we had said he's got to hold the opposition down again, as he has been doing, just to give the offense a chance. Four runs or fewer each of his last eight starts since DeGrom went down. And Stroman would be up against his good buddy, David Price, from back in their Toronto days together. And the Mets did Stroman a solid. I'll do this in the form of those Geico more surprising than commercials, like more surprising than iced tea, selling iced tea. More surprising than Washington crossing the Delaware Turnpike. Three runs in the top of the first was more surprising than Marco Polo with Marco Polo. Did I do it right? The Mets had scored three first-inning runs in their last 31 games combined. But Sunday, Javier Baez came off the bench, and he did this right away. That's lifted in the air, deep toward left center field. Pollock ranging back, it's over his head. It one-hops the wall in left center. Nimmo gets to third, he's being waved home. Relay throw on the way to the plate, it's not in time. Nimmo dives across home plate safely, and Javier Baez welcomes himself back with a rifle of an RBI double to left center field, scoring Brandon Nimmo all the way from first, and the Mets have the early lead for a change. It's 1-0. Wayne Randazzo with the call on WCBS. The lead would grow to 3-0, but the Dodgers came back, got a two-run single from Cody Bellinger. Mets would have second and third, nobody out in the top of the sixth, eventually lowered the bases. Stroman had 81 pitches, told to go ahead and hit so he could stay in the game. He grounded out to end the inning, kept it 3-2. But in the top of the seventh against Phil Bickford, a two-out double from Baez, his second double of the game. Then the first home run from J.D. Davis 
since July 17th. 98 at-bats ago for him. That was huge. He would later add an RBI walk as reliever Shane Green was all over the place in the ninth. And by games end, seven runs in regulation for the Mets. Remember when that used to happen sometimes? Baez was a spark. He, Nimmo, and Davis all with two hits. Final line on Stroman, six innings, four hits, two runs, six strikeouts, gets that ninth win of the year. He's having a career-best season at just the right time. Tremendous athlete, feels his position so well, pitches with a chip on his shoulder the size of a redwood tree. After the game, he met the media with some love for Pat Mazika. Just been really aggressive, just been putting a huge emphasis on my five-day in between, doing everything I can to prepare my mind and my body, and then just going out there and competing. I thought Mazika was great, thought the defense was amazing. Um, and yeah, I thought I had a great mix. Thought, thought Mazika behind the plate was was unreal, um, especially for coming in and being as good as he is with a staff that he hasn't been familiar with um, all year. I think he's been pretty incredible as of late. So um, huge props to to Patrick Mazika for coming in and not and not skipping a beat. I know you mentioned that after your last start on Twitter as well about Mazika. Just what has impressed you the most about his ability to come in here and and uh, catch you so effectively? I mean, I don't think anybody realizes how much goes into game planning and then how much goes into knowing your catcher and vice versa, him knowing me. And he's never caught me in a big league game. He's caught me in a few bullpens before. Um, but to come in, it's a lot, man. I have a, a pretty extensive repertoire of what I like to do. And um, the camaraderie and the relationship is usually developed over time. So for him to just come in and pick up and be great, um, that just says a lot to his character and his commitment to his work. Justin Descano, your line's open. Hey, Marcus, I know you're a guy who likes to keep his mindset the same all the time, but what does it do for you when your offense scores three runs before you even take the mound? Gives me more confidence. Just just gives me another another level to kind of go to. Um, put a little bit more pressure on myself to go out there and be great and to truly go five, six, seven innings deep in the game to give my team a chance to win. So, um, yeah, that was awesome to see. But I knew they would come around at some point. Uh, it's just baseball. You kind of go in and out of spurts. So this offense is great, and it's just a matter of time before we heat up. And then how would you characterize the impact that Baez makes to a lineup in returning? He's a game changer. He's a game changer. He's a guy that brings a lot of fear um, to pitchers when he steps in the box. He's someone who can make something magical happen any moment. So he's someone that you love to have in the lineup each and every day. I do love the love for Mazika. And by the way, if you get Stroman even three runs... Dude is 7-0 and as a Met. Okay, so the West Coast road trip is over, and fairly soon the return not just of Baez, who we've already seen, but Lindor and Syndergaard, who last pitched a major league game in September of 19. He'll be coming out of the bullpen, it appears. He's done that twice in his career, once in Game 5 of the NLDS at Dodger Stadium, and again the following season after one of his starts was cut short because of an ejection, the famous throwing at Chase Utley slash Terry Collins slash ass in the jackpot game. Meantime, uh, with Lindor now taking over everyday shortstop duties, Baez becoming the Mets' regular second baseman, those moves are going to force the Mets to shift Jeff McNeil to third base or left field or the bench. Or, I mean, let's see who loses their time here. J.D. Davis, Dominic Smith. Smith and McNeil at one point Saturday were a combined six for their last 74 and it's come to light that Dom's been playing with a sore wrist, which I'm sure doesn't help. But this is a guy who last year had an OPS of 993. That is this year's Shohei Otani OPS. This year, Dom's at 665, which is not even Tommy Edmonds' OPS. So the Mets heading home, slowly getting back some key pieces. What do we expect 
from these last less than 40 games now. Uh, after the Giants series at City Field, the Mets will have 14 straight against two teams they really should beat up on if indeed Baez and Lindor are back. A little 11-3 and frolic through the Dandelions in that stretch would absolutely resuscitate the Mets' playoff hopes. And you know what Atlanta has during that time? Nobody's talking about this. They've got the Yankees for three. Then they're at L.A., at San Diego, at San Francisco. The Braves could be 3-11 and during that run through the forest. So guess what happens in those two weeks if indeed the Mets are 11-3 and against the bad teams and the Braves come down to earth and they go 3-11 and against the good teams? Uh, I'm doing the math. The Mets would be ahead of Atlanta with two and a half weeks to go. Now, the keys to that little dream piece Number one, not only do Lindor and Baez need to come back, they need to be healthy and stay healthy. And I do have every confidence that the two of them playing together and making Harlem Globetrotters-esque magic in the field will re-energize everyone. That's number one. Number two, DeGrom and Syndergaard, we're hoping, will indeed be ready to contribute. Number three, the team will remember how to beat the Marlins. Uh, They beat the Nationals fairly easily a couple weeks back, but they struggled in Miami. Got to start to fillet the fish. And yeah, number four, Atlanta has to lose some of the air from its balloon and stop playing 850 baseball. As we have all found out together of late, nothing kills your confidence quite like having to face the Dodgers and Giants for a week. So could there be a 25 and 15 run for the Mets the final 40 games? That would give them 85 wins and a very real chance in the dilapidated neighborhood of the NL East. The Mets of 88 closed 29 and 11 before being taken apart by these very same Dodgers, Oral Hershiser, Kirk Gibson, Mike Sosha take a bow. But as I saw my buddy Greg Prince point out on his always excellent blog, all you got to do is go back five years to remember a final 40 sprint that worked out very well. Do you realize the 2016 Mets had the exact same record after 122 games that these current New York Mets had, 60 and 62? Then they ripped off a 27-13. and 13. They made it in as a wild card. They did eventually get Madison Bumgarnered to end the season back in Flushing. But the point is, there were a lot of mopey Met fans at this point in 2016 as well. Then Lugo and Gazelman pitched their butts off. Curtis Granderson caught fire as Drupal Cabrera had that bat flip extra inning home run to beat the Phillies. They won their regular season home finale 17 to nothing. And of course, the Mets of 16 got a huge lift from a one-time trade deadline acquisition a big swinger with a love-him-or-hate-him kind of bent. That was La Potencia. This year, it's El Mago. Baez is the new Cespedes, or at least that is the hope. But back to the question of Jeff McNeil. Will he be part of this the rest of the way? He's already had the two worst months of his career in terms of batting average, April and June of this year. He did rebound in July. August has been rough. 20% strikeout rate, about a 165 batting average. That's not him. And his approach is very different. Very few hitters are as aggressive on the first pitch. And normally that's cool because he's got the bat-to-ball skills. Only eight players since 2018 have struck out less frequently than Jeff McNeil. But his aggressiveness hasn't really funneled into hits this year. Not like we're used to seeing. A 319 career hitter entering this year. Now he's a 250 guy. First three big league seasons on base percentage between 381 and 384. 325 this year. And the Mets think that's because he really hasn't been discerning enough about which pitches he's been swinging against. It's not as simple as swinging in the zone against out of the zone. His chase rate is actually at a career low. It's about being more selective within the zone. The Mets don't mind his aggressiveness, but they want it to be more refined. And that is a really delicate balance. And I think it's an emblem 
for the 21 Mets overall. The Mets don't get into good hitters counts very often. They've had the fewest plate appearances in the National League that end with the batter ahead. And they don't capitalize on those opportunities when they do get those opportunities. They are 14th in the league in OPS when they are ahead in the count. No team has seen fewer 3-0 counts than the Mets. And they're hitting only 157 when they get them. That first game in L.A. on Thursday, not only didn't the Mets see a 3-0 count, they never saw a 3-1 or 3-2. No three-ball counts that entire game, and they were not facing a late 1990s Greg Maddox. That was a bullpen game. So to sum that up, I turn to the words of Stevie Winwood. While you see a chance, take it. And that works on two levels. While you see the Marlins and Nationals, that's your chance. Got to take those games, period. And in the batter's box on a nightly basis, it's the same lyric. While you see a chance means uh, get your A swing in there, your most aggressive rip, but only when you've identified this is my pitch. You might get it once every two at-bats, but when it shows up, you can't be late on a 94-mile-an-hour fastball with the bases loaded. Not at this level and, and not with fewer than 40 games to go. Okay, as for what's up next, first off, our Kuzman Countdown. August 28th, as hopefully you know by now, the Mets will retire that number 36 at City Field. Kuz is now 78 years old. This is going to be a very, very cool night. Guy that won 140 games. If he had had a better offense behind him, he would have won a lot more games as a Met than 140. He had a 20-loss season in 77 with an ERA of 3.4. And if you don't know the backstory, really amazing how his pro career even started. He was pitching while in the U.S. Army stationed in El Paso, and his battery mate, a guy named John Lucchese, was impressed by what he saw. So he wrote to his dad, who's an usher at Shea Stadium, tells him about Kuzman. Father passes the word down to Joe McDonald, who is a Mets farm director, yada, yada, yada. He's getting his number retired. That event is Saturday. But before that, the game's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday against the Giants. Game time, 7-10 all the way there. Then the weekend, for which everybody's working, according to Loverboy. Friday night, Noah Syndergaard replica jersey night presented by Northwell Health for the first 25,000 fans. Public transportation, always a good idea to get there in time to get those giveaways. Saturday, you'll want to do that. It's the Jerry Kuzman bobbleheads and the retirement ceremony of that number 36. First 25,000 fans get the bobblehead there. Both those games against the Nationals. Now, since there is no game tonight... We will have no game to recap tomorrow, meaning a long-form interview with Brandon Nimmo will come your way instead. The smiling center fielder will walk us through his Wyoming upbringing, his childhood, his teenage angst and injury history, his second thoughts about never having gone to college, and most importantly, how to floss and brush correctly so you too can have that winning Brandon Nimmo smile. Until then, this is Josh Lewin reminding you to subscribe, spread the word, leave us a nice five-star Uber review if you're feeling it. Meantime, big ups to the Mets in the Morning House Band. On keyboards, Nick Evans. Slapping the bass, it's Rico Bronia. The horn section, give it up for John Rausch. And on drums, ladies and gentlemen, John Buck. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Talk soon. Bye-bye.